Okay, so we're talking about the genesis of the church, the community, how it began, how believers started coming about, how the change happened in the disciples and the apostles, and the the marked difference that was made once the Holy Spirit come here on the day of Pentecost, that is when the church began. But I'm going to read down through this, and I just love this story here and, and what was being preached On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly, there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then, what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. Imagine that you're in this up that you're in this room all gathered together and you hear this thing coming, tornadic sounding windstorm. And all of a sudden there appears, you look around and you see like fire descending on each person. Okay? It is the first time of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Now Jews always seek a sign. They always like to see something. So God let them see. Because this was Jews to the Jews right now. Okay? Outsiders, they hadn't been preaching yet to the Gentiles in this New Testament time. So here comes this Holy Spirit. Now they're able to see it and they're able to see it come into you. All right. Imagine that you're up there. This is the this is such a dramatic change from Judaism. From being temple worshipers in which when you go through the book of Acts, you still see people trying to blend it, trying to go to temple and serve Jesus. And it was difficult for them because they were starting to get two different messages. Get one from the, the, the Sadducees, Pharisees, the, the priests, and then try to follow the message of Christ, Jesus as Messiah, and now you're serving by faith. So it was a, it was a time of where things was changing. And it was the very beginning of, of a new thing. Okay, where faith was the mainstay. Where Jesus Christ having faith in Jesus Christ as the Messiah. They were going to temple worship services in which the Messiah was not recognized. And then they were trying to come out and live as Christians where they had recognized the Messiah. You see the confusion. But they didn't know. I mean, they were. this was a natural thing. I mean, it would be very difficult to understand what to do. And so they were doing this. All right? So God in His wisdom sends the Holy Spirit as Jesus had promised, and they see this thing start to happen. And they see each other. Now, interesting that the way that God did this is He had these believers together. There was roughly 120 of them together. And they were, they were there. Everybody pretty much knew each other. Everybody pretty much knew that, you know, Thomas uh, Edison was not able to speak Greek. Okay, because I know him and his wife, Julie, uh, she also she could not speak um, other languages that were because these Jewish people were coming from all around 
uh, the country into uh, into Jerusalem for Pentecost. So, but these were all different cultures. They were still Jewish people, but they were had different languages that they were speaking. They were Hellenistic. They were from all over the place. Okay, and and they spoke different languages. But yet, these people within this room knew each other and knew that the capabilities and the and 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 knew the different languages that people did not speak. And so it was very miraculous to them that they were all speaking in languages they were never taught. Imagine that. Imagine that if just in a moment this happened to you and then all of a sudden you were speaking in a language that you could not speak in. And every thought you have, just, just like I'm standing here preaching to you, just like all of you, all of you, when you came into the church, you were talking to each other, you were communicating with the language that you have, you were passing from thought to language and, and passing on to the other person what your mind was thinking so that they could understand and respond back. But now you were doing the same process, but it was coming out in Greek, a language that you never knew. Okay. Amazing. And the Holy Spirit was just, well, you know, filled them. And, and listen, what were they saying, you might say? Well, well they, were, they were talking and praising God according to what the Scripture says and talking about Jesus Christ. And every, I mean, they were talking about the, the, the Holy Spirit within them was giving them praise and utterance in other languages of what was going on. It's an amazing thought to see this, what was happening. Okay. At that time, there were devout Jews. This is verse 5. There were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by these believers. They were completely amazed. The scripture says in verse 7, how can this be? They exclaimed. These people are from Galilee and yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. Here we are, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and people from Mesopotamia and Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and the province of Asia, Asia Phrygia, Camphylia, or Pamphylia, Egypt and the areas of Libya and around Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Ju uh, Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. And we all hear these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things God has done. They weren't just talking about just everyday things. They were talking about, like I said, all the things that God had done. Jesus Christ, the, 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 the wonderful new covenant that was coming, that had been instituted right now. Right now. They stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean? They asked each other. But others in the crowd ridiculed saying, they're just drunk, that's all. I've never heard a drunk be multilingual like that and be accurately speaking another language. I'm out here, but that don't mean nothing. Okay? That don't mean nothing. That's like when I, when I was under, you know, let me just stop right there and talk about my language. I tried to speak to my doctor when I was getting my, my, uh, my endoscopy, colonoscopy, I should say. I woke up right in the middle of that sucker and I was trying to speak a language. I was out of it. And I, I was like, you know, I felt all the pain that was happening. And I was like, but yet I was so out of it, I couldn't talk. So it came out like, 
And they said, hit him. And, I, and then I went back out. Now, I was trying to say something. And that was the language I spoke. It wasn't Greek or Parthian. or <laughs> They understood it, thank God. They understood my tongue back then. I had to just, I just had to throw that in there for just a second. Okay. Then Peter stepped forward with the 11 other apostles and shouted to the crowd, listen carefully, all you fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem. Make no mistake about this. These people are not drunk, as some of you are assuming. It's nine o'clock in the morning. That's a, well, around here in Valley Street, that don't matter. I understand Peter's a different culture, but the Christie Club's right next door. I guarantee I could find some. Okay. He says, nine o'clock in the morning is much too early for that. Sorry, Peter. No, what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. And the prophet Joel, he quotes from verse 17 down to 21. He says, in the last days, God says, last days not meaning like, Today I'm coming. This means this New Testament, which will lead us into the last days. Okay. And it says here in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. And I will cause wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and clouds of smoke. The sun will become dark and the moon will turn blood red before that great and glorious day of the Lord arrives. But everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, listen, will be saved. Everyone. A key word there. Not just Jewish folks. And then Peter goes on to say, people of Israel, listen. God publicly endorsed Jesus the Nazarene by doing powerful miracles, wonders, and signs through him, as you well know. But God knew that, would, uh, that that would happen, and his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. With the help of lawless Gentiles, you nailed him to a cross and killed him. But God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life, for death could not keep him in its grip. King David said this about him, and he, and he goes on uh, giving the words of David. I see that the Lord is always with me, David said. I will not be shaken, for he is right beside me. No wonder my heart is glad and my tongue shouts his praises. My body rests in hope for, listen, you will not leave my soul among the dead or allow your holy one to rot in the grave, which speaks of Jesus. You have shown me the way of life and you will fill me with the joy of your presence Peter goes on to say to the crowd, dear brothers, think about this. You can be sure that the patriarch David wasn't referring to himself for he died and was buried and his tomb is still here among us today. But he was a prophet 
And he knew God had promised with an oath that one of David's own descendants would sit on his throne. David was looking into the future and speaking of the Messiah's resurrection. He was saying that God would not leave him among the dead or allow his body to rot in the grave. God raised Jesus from the dead, and we are all witnesses to this. Now he is exalted to the place of highest honor in heaven at God's right hand, and the Father, as he had promised, gave him the Holy Spirit to pour out upon us just as you see and hear today. For David himself never ascended into heaven, and yet he said, quote, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit in the place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies, making them a footstool under your feet. Then Peter goes on to say, So let everyone in Israel know for certain that, uh, that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified to be both Lord and Messiah. Now listen to this. That was his sermon. So the the people were hearing this. Look what happened next. Peter's words pierced their heart. And they said to him and to the other apostles, this is where I'm going to start at here. I had to go through all this so that you could see the setup. Peter's words pierced their hearts. And they said unto him and to the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? With a broken heart, with a pierced heart, they asked, what do we need to do about this? Peter replied, Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for your sins. This is something very important. This doesn't make baptism an absolute necessity to be saved. It's just saying that you need to accept Jesus and publicly confess your faith. That's very important to understand that. Baptism cannot save you. Baptism is secondary to salvation. Okay? Peter's words pierced their hearts. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Here we go. You're accepting Jesus Christ. You repent of your sins and turn to God. Asking for forgiveness. Turning away from your sins. And you will be filled with the Holy Spirit, he says. This promise is to you and to your children. And even to the Gentiles. All who have been called by the Lord our God, he says. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time, strongly urging all his listeners, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day about 3,000 people in all. In one day, one guy without a crusade of backing him just stood and preached the gospel and 3,000 people got saved. Okay? And then it, uh, it just well, it goes on to say, and I'm just going to go down to about verse 47. And it says here, now listen at this. 
all the believers noticed what happened after the transformation, and we're going to talk about this. All the believers. This is what separates the wheat from the chaff. There's a lot of people out there that proclaim Christ, but you never see them with the believers. That's what I was talking about on the, on the text chain. All kinds of people talking about Jesus, but you never see them with the people of Jesus. Okay? Listen to this. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. That's what they began to do. Let me say that again. All believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teach, teaching and to fellowship. This is why I called this church the United Christian Fellowship Church. This is why you're being introduced to the why. You make disciples and you have fellowship. You should always maintain a sense of godly Christian community. If you don't do that, and I just stand up here and preach the word to you and you go home and everybody goes their different directions, then you're failing. Because you, 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 along with being a Christian, you've got to learn to live as a Christian in a Christian style community. You've got to learn to behave yourself. And what to expect out of yourself and other people. Okay? Look at the dynamics of this and how this began to happen. Alright? To just come to church and to hear the Word is not good enough. You have to put it into practice. You have to become a disciple. Look, they, let me stress this again before I get too, too deep in my own teaching and get ahead of myself. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles. They devoted themselves to the teaching of the apostles so that they could, have, they could learn it and live it and have fellowship with each other. They had to do that. They had to devote themselves to the Word of God so that they could learn the Word of God, so that they could live the Word of God and be a disciple of the Word of God. Okay, it's why the sign says out on the front, life application and discipleship. That's why we call ourselves United Christian Fellowship Church. Iron sharpens iron. You will never be made a better Christian by an unbeliever. Remember that. Unbelievers are just that. I mean, they're not, I'm not, I don't, I'm not meaning to sound condemning of people that don't believe. It's just... Your apples and oranges together and you just don't mix. And it usually always goes bad for the believer because you all always start to resort back to who you once were. Listen at this. Verse 43. This is so important that you study these verses. Verse 37 down all the way through verse 47 in which we're going to go over today. You look into these yourself too. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. That's why we do our fellowships downstairs. We've kind of gotten away from it. We need to get back to doing that every now and again so that people have a time not only up here, but also to share their faith in, in common fellowship. Okay? That's very important. And it says here, a deep sense of awe, verse 33, came over them all. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place. 
listen at this, and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those uh, that had need. They worshiped together at the temple each day. That's that sense of change. They were, they were still temple worshipers. They were still trying to keep Judaism and still trying to be a Christian. And soon that would create a clash. Right now in the beginning in this thing's infancy, they were doing it. They, they, they hadn't let go of that yet. All right? They worshiped together at the temple each day met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. Each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Father in heaven, we pray in the name of Jesus. I ask you to help us to teach this, Lord God, today with the anointing, that you would help us to understand it, and that, God, we would give you the full praise and glory. For Christians, Lord God, we have got to stand up in these days and be what you want us to be in these troublesome times. And only the true message will be, be the, the, the guiding light for our country, for our people, for our neighborhoods, for our families, for everyone involved. And God, we just ask you to help us, guide us, and lead us as this, this true community of believers we're looking at how things have changed over the millennia and how, Lord, this has become a business and it's become career fields. And, oh, Lord, we know that you didn't mean it to be so. So, God, help us and guide us and lead us. And we ask your blessings in the word of God and give us wisdom and be our professor to teach us all things in Christ Jesus name. So what I read to you the change in the community. These people came to worship on the day of Pentecost as a Hellenistic Jew. And they became something totally different before they left. Totally different. Matter of fact, I'm inclined to believe by some historians that some never even left. They came and stayed. And never went home. Some did. But the sense of community that was built and the sense of family that had been instituted by Jesus Christ, the blood of Jesus Christ, bound these people closer than their possessions or even their own family. And they devoted themselves to each other and to the apostles. But how did we get there? Before we get into all that, how did we get there? How did this happen in the first place? People were coming in from all over as was typical. I can say with authority that these people were, were religious people. And I can say with authority that what they were doing never changed them. Because it took this to change their hearts. They were coming in every year and leaving, coming in every year and leaving, coming in every year and leaving, coming in every year and leaving for the feasts. Come in, leave, come in, leave, come in, leave, come in, leave. And there was no change in these people. And yet 
Jesus had to come and die for all these quote unquote religious people because they were on their way to hell without him. Okay, that we were all still in our sins. So even though they were keeping the feast, yet they weren't right and they needed a savior. Right. So here here begins this epic thing. When we go back up to verse 37, Peter had just finished his sermon and listen to this. Peter's words pierced their hearts. Peter's words pierced their hearts. What this means, uh, the Holy Spirit took what Peter said, it inspired him to speak what he said, and as Peter preached this to the crowd, the Holy Spirit took what he said and created conviction. Now let's stop right there for a second. Because let me tell you, as a seasoned pastor and preacher, and one with a lot of experience, I can tell you right there, at that moment, that's where people jump off the Jesus train often. When conviction hits. They like to come to church, but they don't like to feel their heart broken. They want to feel good. They don't want to feel a pierced heart. Now, now understand, this, this is a natural thing that has to take place. This was not your typical Joel Osteen, this is your best life now sermon. Can I get an amen? Oh, wait, 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 wait. Can I get an amen? amen? Yes. This wasn't how to make your next million dollars rich. Peter didn't stand up and say, sow seed in our ministry right now and God give you 100 fold back. Just here's my mailing address. Right? He didn't preach that sermon. But what he did preach was who Jesus was, what he came for, that he was the predicted one and you need to be saved. Okay, and when these people heard this, this pricked their heart. It was not something pleasant to hear for those people. It produced instant conviction that, yes, what that guy is saying is accurate and true. And I did have a hand in the death of Jesus Christ. I crucified him with my sins. Some got angry and said, ah, I get a lot of that. But some people heard this and then asked the critical question. They didn't run from it. They didn't get mad at the apostle. They said, what do I need to do? Because this has touched my heart. They recognized that Correction that comes spiritually into your heart can be and is a good thing. It is, the, it is the choice point. It is the why in the road. It is the place that you have to make a decision. Which way to go? These people chose to respond. Okay, we heard what you said. Now what? What a beautiful thing. 
Then what happened to those people? The apostle told them right here, you must repent of your sins. That means turn from your sins. That don't mean ask for forgiveness. You, you have to ask for forgiveness, but when you're forgiven, you've got to turn from your sins, turn to God. Then he says, be baptized. What that means is, once God forgives you and fills your heart with forgiveness, you go and you tell the world that the Messiah did this for you. That's your public testimony. That's how the word's supposed to spread. Baptism is a public confession of your faith. And he said, God's going to fill you with his Holy Spirit. With power. Power to live the Christian faith. Power to execute its articles. Power to execute its instructions. Power to execute Jesus' ministry on the earth. That means the laying on of hands to the sick so that they could recover. People just like Kathy who went into the hospital. That was all God. That was not, I'm not going to give the praise to the doctors. I thank God for their knowledge and what they did. But let me tell you, she is recuperated. She made it through with flying colors because of the prayers of the true believers. God did his work. That is a direct result of the power of Jesus Christ and the community of Christ praying for someone. All right? That's what you witnessed. Okay? So when you see this, take heart that Jesus Christ did this. And you need to see this, just like these people seeing the apostles doing these miraculous things. You need to see that and go, wow, look what Jesus can do. And believe with all your heart that he did it. And expect that in your life and others and promote it, you see. Don't stand and let people not proclaim that that wasn't Jesus. They, people on the outside should see the community of Jesus different than what they see themselves. Okay. So what happened? Peter told them to do that. They did it. He said, then you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promises to you and your children and even to the Gentiles. All who have been called. The gift of the Holy Spirit is... Then Peter continued preaching for a long time, strongly urging them. All who believed in uh, what Peter said and were baptized were 3,000 people. 3,000 people made an instant community. Now, I want you to see these infants who are actually demonstrating a community that is much more grown up than what we have. Watch these 3,000 infants, infants in the Spirit, who don't know half of what you know. They don't know what you know about Jesus. They didn't have a Bible. They didn't have, they didn't have a, a, a theology. They didn't know any of this. They, had, they didn't have the rest of the, the, uh, of the, of the Bible, of the, of the letters written to the churches. They, they didn't have that. You know what they had? You want to know what these infants of the Spirit had? You see, infants... When you get born again, you are a babe 
in Christ. That's what the Bible says. And then you have to, you get the milk of the Spirit, just like a baby would. Something gentle, something easy for you to, to, that, to digest and live by. And then as you grow up, God increases your palate, spiritual palate, and you begin to dine on more and more meat and substantial things as you grow in the Spirit. These infants did a hundred times better than what we do today. They didn't have a Bible. They didn't have a computer. They didn't have the internet. They didn't have the way to look something up. They didn't have the means to study. They only had the apostles, the Holy Spirit, and the love of God in their heart. But I want you to take a look at this community and what it became. And then you'll see how far below the standard you are and I am. Listen to this. Verse 42 switches from what they were to what they became. And I want you to take a look at this. I, I, this is not a socialistic society. This is a group of people who are solely operating in this newfound love of God in their hearts. They suddenly... And when you first get saved, you know what I'm talking about. You have a zeal that's beyond mention, beyond my, my ability to, to describe. And you have this great love in your heart for everyone. And you enter into this euphoric newness of life that you've never known before. And you just love everybody. They were operating in the love of God. That's all they were doing. They, weren't, they didn't have any rules and regulations. They just... They just had this love of God that told them, I, I love you more than anything in this world. I love my community and I want to do what I can do to help you. That's all they did. That's all this was, was going on here. And Jesus was so delighted in it that he kept adding to the church daily. Add, I want to throw more people into that batch. Oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. People were getting saved all over because they were seeing the remarkable change that took place in these believers. Listen to this. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. That's what they did. Listen to this. This created what's coming next. Their devotion to the teachings. Their fellowship with each other. The sharing of meals and the Lord's Supper, the communion, the Holy Communion. And the prayer, those four things. And what that resulted in, a deep sense of awe came all over all of them. And the apostles performed. Listen, a deep sense of awe came over all of them, comma. Not because the apostles was doing miracles. It just said a deep sense of awe came over all of them. Wow. Is this not amazing? They were in this euphoric state of, oh my gosh, is this, is this what God Designed life to be like in the first place? 
suddenly, all this life that you have known your whole life, this existence, this sense of community and family that you have now, goes out the window and you're introduced to what God designed earth to be like with people in it. Loving each other. We're all made from the same flesh. We're all made from the same blood, from the same maker, from the same God. We are all family. That's what God made us to be like. And then he goes, if you read all this, finally they get back to original design. Verse 44 says, And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They were so concerned about each other. You know, what would you do for your family? Don't we go out of the way for family? We do inconvenient things for family. Sometimes family's a pain in the neck. Can I get an amen nice and loud? Yeah. Family can be an extreme pain in the neck. But what do they do? You go out of your way and do things you typically would never do. Right? Because they're family, right? But isn't that what we're... So, now enter into this equation and these people suddenly lost these barriers of who family is and family became believers. And they were so filled with God's love that they never let anything stand in their way to help another believer. That's, it, it doesn't mean you've got to go sell everything you have right now. It just means the love of God, when it moves on you, you should have a sense of family to the community of believers that they're more family to you than your real family is. Because we're talking about something that's eternal, built by God, not built by man on this earth. But this is built by the blood of Jesus Christ, your creator, which binds you closer than even the blood of men. They went, they sold everything they had, they gave it to each other. And it said, they met in, the home, in their own homes and shared the Lord's Supper and their meals with great joy and generosity. Can you get a picture of, of the state of what was going on here? This youth, what would make people feel like they should do that? What would make people feel like that's a good thing to do? The right thing to do? Because God just continually was blessing these babies in Christ. And He was just feeding them His smile from heaven. And patting them on the back with holy goodness. Man, you're doing the right thing. Dude, this is good stuff. I'm Jesus, you know, they're putting into practice the words of Jesus. Remember, they were hearing the apostles teaching. They were first-hand accounts of Jesus and His life and the things that He said. When, when Jesus said, prefer ye one another. And when Jesus said that a true friend would lay his life down for another. They put that into practice, man. And they put it into practice not as a duty or an obligation. 
But they put it in the practice because of the love of God in their heart. You know, there's a people detect a difference when you do stuff out of obligation versus doing stuff out of love. You can always tell, can't you? Well, really, they they just had us there because they felt like they had to. Right? Have you ever felt like that in your life? You should never make anyone feel that way. But the love of God in a believer, when I see my family coming, I'm glad to see you all. Because I love you in the Lord's love. And that's what it should be like. And that's what, this, that's what was going on right here. So when I knock on Rich's door for dinner, Rich said, come on in, Jay, today. I, I, I suspect that he's probably going to tell me what time they're eating today, right after I preach this sermon. See, Rich is shaking his head. See there? Now, I don't feel obligated to go over there. And Rich probably shouldn't feel obligated to feed me today. Just saying, Rich. <laughs> but listen what this is great stuff you can learn so much from this listen at this they did all this with great love and generosity then read verse 47 all the while they were doing this guess what they were doing they were together praising god and enjoying the good will of all the people and each day the lord added to their fellowship What does that mean to me? That means this to me. The Holy Spirit tells me that God was adding to what they were enjoying. It says here in verse 46, they shared their meals with great joy and generosity. And God said, you know what? Since you're liking the, the stuff that I say that you should like, and you're loving the stuff with my love, I'm going to give you more to enjoy. Here's some more people to bring into your fellowship that you can love and show them, and then they'll love others too. And then you'll increase your fellowship and the love of God will increase amongst you all. How awesome is that? It was as simple as that. It started with conviction. It started with a message, an accusatory message. It started with an accusatory message. What we call from the pulpit an evangelistic message that shows you you're wrong so that you can see it, evaluate it, look at your heart, and make a change. That's where it starts. Started with an accusatory message, an evangelistic message, and ended with great joy and love of God and a new community that will last throughout the ages.